welcome back to season two. And I'm excited to be talking about season two. There's a lot in this season to talk about. I think there's going to be some controversy we talk about later. Um, there's going to be some, I think, just some really good discussion um, about this season. So, hi, Jackie. I'm glad that you were able to join us. Um, I've heard from a lot of people that they listen later. Either they watch it on YouTube later or they're listening to the podcast. Um, and so welcome, whether or not you're watching this live or you're watching or listening later. I've also heard that I have some non-Catholic listeners, so welcome to my non-Catholic listeners, and I'm um, humbled and honored that you are with us and listening and coming along on this journey with us as we delve into The Chosen. So I'm going to start with prayer, and then we are going to jump into the first episode of Season 2, which is a packed episode. So um, you may have noticed I put on the countdown timer a question and every session I'm going to put a different question on the countdown timer. And so if you're here early and just waiting for us to start, you know, throw your answer in the chat because that's usually going to be a question that I don't really have an answer to. I just want to see what other people think about it. So today's question was, why do you think Jesus waited to heal the Samaritan. Um, if you remember, the Samaritan wasn't healed instantly. He was healed throughout the night. And so I just think it's intriguing. And I, you know, so each time on the countdown climber, um, hi Mountain, thank you for joining us. Um, it's funny to be on this side and usually I'm the one saying hi to you on live, but. Um, so each time, each day on the countdown climber, I'll just put down a, a question. And so feel free if you're here early um, to throw something in the chat, because I just want to know your opinions on it. So. Let's start with prayer, and then we're going to jump into episode one, season two. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end, amen. St. John, pray for us. St. James the Greater, pray for us. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. So, uh, episode one is called Thunder, after the Sons of Thunder. Um, I think it could have a lot of different uh, titles, but um, let's just jump in. You know, I think this is my favorite episode of season two, so we're starting out on a bang, I think. Um, I just love the artistry of, the of this episode. I love the way the story is woven. I love that there are multiple storylines all woven together and how the writers wove all these storylines together. There's a lot um, here, and somehow they all fit together. The Sons of Thunder, John writing his gospel, the themes of creation, the themes of the word, um, several parables make an appearance in this in this episode. So there's a lot here. So I'm not always going to go through the episode straight through. Um, I think that becomes kind of a, a recap, and I, I'm just assuming that people who are listening have seen the episode. So... I'm going to try to avoid recapping the episode, but for this one, because there's so many storylines and they weave and they unfold throughout the whole episode, we are just going to kind of go straight through from beginning to end. I think that's going to be the easiest to deal with a lot of these different themes and a lot of these different storylines. So I want to kind of hang first with that beginning scene, because I think the beginning is so powerful. Um... It's really fun to see all these friends hop on. Hi, Loretta. Hi, Wendy. I know my parents are here, so it's it's fun to see you all. Um, 
the beginning I think is so fantastic because I don't know about you, but I could tell immediately what was happening, but not everybody could. And I heard from people who are kind of having trouble tracking because we were so used to episodes looking back to have an episode that jumps forward was different for, for us, um, for, for the chosen. So I think some people were like, what, what's going on? And it took them a minute. Um, I realized right away what was happening, but I didn't necessarily know who they were talking to. I love this exercise that they're all doing. They're all reflecting and looking back at the way Jesus affected them and at the time when they first met him, right? So they're all kind of reflecting, all the disciples are reflecting in their old age. They're not really that old. Um, it's We're only talking about 10 years after Christ's death, but... Um, but they're all looking back and reflecting on the first time they met Christ. And I think it's important for us to do that as well. You know, as Catholics, we oftentimes don't think about the time we were saved. Um, we don't use that language. And, and just because we don't use the language of um, when I was saved or, or when I accepted Jesus Christ, that doesn't mean that we as Catholics don't have moments where the faith became our own or moments where we felt Christ's presence in a, in a real way, maybe for the first time, maybe an answered prayer for the first time, like a real vivid, I can feel Christ's presence. And so all of these things make up our testimony. And I think so often um, we don't think about our own testimony. We, we like to hear conversion stories. We like to hear people's journeys. But to, to realize that we each have one. Um, and I remember like realizing that for myself, that conversion stories weren't just something that happened to someone else, but that all of us have moments and we have to take time to reflect on those moments and on our own, like, how did I get to this place? And so I think it's a really good exercise. Um, what the apostles are doing, we should um, do ourselves at times and really take time to have gratitude and really reflect on what it was like when Christ met us. Um, we have some new characters. So Nathaniel makes an appearance right here at the very beginning. And you might not have known it was Nathaniel. There's hints that it's a Nathaniel because he refers to his call, right? He quotes scripture of Philip, um, you know, bringing him to Jesus. And he knew me before he knew me, right? Philip says, come and see. Um, and so Nathaniel, you don't have to see episode two to know if you know the scriptures that that's Nathaniel. Uh, we get to see Andrew talk about John 1, verse 40, and I think that's really neat that, um, that like, we didn't get to see that in the first season. We didn't get to see Andrew, for, we heard Andrew talking about seeing Jesus, but we see Andrew recounting John 1, verse 40 and following when he sees the Lord for the first time, um, and I really like that. Um, and of course, we have the humor from Peter about creepy John. Um, we also get James's, uh, little James's story and Jude Thaddeus's stories. And so we didn't directly see these stories in season one. So I like that we're getting that. Um, hi, Mr. Butorik. I still, I, I have to call you Mr. Butorik because you're Mountain's dad, but, um, I guess I can call you Mick probably. Um, I love how James, uh, gets choked up. Little James gets choked up and, and how difficult it is. Like he says, you know, I talk about Christ all the time, but to talk about him with you is different. Um, and I, I really miss him. And I think we, we can reflect on how hard it would have been after the Ascension for the apostles to lose their best friend. I mean, they didn't lose him, but they did in a very human way. He's not walking around with them anymore. I love Mary Magdalene, um, her reflecting on seeing Christ and the way he put his hand on hers. And he, she's like, you might want to leave that part out because people might misunderstand. Um, that's a really beautiful reference to, you know, some of the Gnostic Gospels and our, 
you know, modern Da Vinci Code heresy, um, that there was something between Mary Magdalene and Jesus. And so I like that she said, leave that out. People will get confused. Um, I just like those little, I mean, if you watch season one with these, these commentaries, you know that I like kind of like the little jabs or the little references that not everyone will get. And I think that was a very clear reference to misunderstanding who Mary Magdalene was in Jesus's life, whether that's Jesus Christ Superstar, the Da Vinci Code, whatever. Um, you know, we see Matthew saying like, my gospel will be precise. And so there's a lot happening in this opening scene very quickly, setting up a lot of the characters, reminding us of the characters, who these people were. Um, we see the Blessed Mother, which I think is really lovely. And, um, you know, we hear the voice of who they're talking to for the first time saying, you know, try me mother. And when he says mother, um, you know, really it could have been any of the apostles because we believe that all the apostles saw Mary as mother as we do. But I think it's our first indication that this is John. And it's slowly revealed then that Big James has died. And so we, um, historically, this is a 44 AD. So Herod Agrippa martyrs um, James, Big James. He's the first apostle to be martyred. Um, at the same time, Peter's actually imprisoned. And so Maybe Peter was in prison later, or maybe this is after he already got out. But if you read Acts 12 too, Big James is martyred. for the He's the first apostle to be martyred. And we know right now they're sitting Shiva. They're, um, they're, it's the Jewish uh, mourning. So it's this time of mourning. John would be mourning his, his brother. Um, I like that this is kind of the impetus for the writing of John, that John begins to write his gospel. There's no indication that that's really the case, that what happened, but I love that idea that they're all together mourning Big James. Um, he doesn't know if more will be martyred, and so now they're all, he's kind of getting it down. Um, it's really fitting that we're doing the the this live stream because today is the feast of big james so happy feast day big james you can picture now you can you know you have a mental image of, of big james although he's changed actors three times um but it's really fun that we're celebrating his feast day talking about him in this chosen episode today so i think it's really um god's little wink to us of love that we are talking about big james and that wasn't that was not intended on my part um i realized it about an hour ago so happy feast day big james so um, I love Mary and John, their relationship. I think it's set up very beautifully how um, they love each other. And, um, oh, that's a good point, Dan. So Dan, I'm going to test this for the first time and see if this works. Oh, yeah, look at that. Isn't that fancy? So Dan brought, brings up um, that John calls her mother instead of Ema. And I think that that is really, that's very interesting. And I wonder if, um, I haven't really done a lot of study. So Ema would have been more... Um, familial like like daddy mommy ima um and so from the cross christ does say call her you know calls her mother um that's a really interesting that i've not thought of that um and that's that's really beautiful um i love that um mary and john have this teasing relationship where um you know she says he loved everyone you just like talking about it because it's a reference obviously to john's gospel where he refers to himself as the beloved disciple all the time john will never in his gospel refer to himself as john he refers to himself as the beloved and mary's kind of giving him a she's kind of teasing him about it there are so many references to john john's gospel throughout this um beginning but really through the whole episode which i love it shows such a literacy such a fluency with the writings of john and not just john's gospel as we will get to in about 
10 seconds. Um, I love how Mary's the one who gives him the line, if you try to write everything he did, the whole world could not contain the books, which is um, the end of John's gospel, John 21, 25. Um, I love that Mary's the one that gives him that line. And it's just, it's, again, there's this like fluency with John's gospel and his letters all throughout this episode. Um, Mary says, where will you start? And this really frames the episode. So the episode is all about where John's going to start his gospel. So the whole beginning is leading to the beginning, which is actually at the end. And um, I love the way this this episode is framed by that. But I want to take a little time before we get into the rest of the episode. He says something that could have just been a throwaway line to some, but because it's my favorite verse in scripture, I knew exactly what he was referring to. So he says, I want it to be known that he is much more than what can be seen and touched. This is a reference to one of my favorite scripture verses, and I'm going to go on a little tangent about it because I think it's really important. Um, I think it's actually what the chosen does so well. So what he, what this is a reference to is John 1, 1 to 4, so the first letter of John. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest, and we saw it and testified to it, and proclaimed to you the eternal life which was from the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you, so that you may have fellowship with us, and our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing this that our joy may be complete. So that's the beginning, the prologue of a sense, of the first letter of St. John. And he makes direct reference to this, in this scene. I want it to be known that he is much more than what can be seen and touched. What's important about this is that when John writes, he's writing this letter and he's writing his gospel about something he has seen and touched, that he has experienced these things and that's what he wants to share. But it's more than just words on a page. And when we read that letter of 1 John, what he's telling us is we experience the day in and day out with this man who is God. And that's what we want to share with you, that it's not just he did this and he did this and these are the words he said, but that we lived and breathed with him and there's so much more that we can than we can even write down. That this experience of the incarnation permeates everything we are. That yes, I can write down what Jesus said, but I saw the look in his eyes and I saw, I saw the way he, the way he looked. I saw the, I heard the inflection in his voice. And so in a sense, it reminds us that scripture can only show us so much because scripture can only give us words. Scripture can only give us facts. Scripture can't, scripture can say the Lord looked at Peter after Peter denies him, scripture cannot convey the look in our Lord's eyes when he looks at Peter. Peter knows what that was like. And so that's what Peter spends the rest of his life teaching. That's what Peter spends the rest of his life speaking about. Not just Jesus said ABC, but that Jesus walked with us. Jesus loved us. And so that's why we need more than scripture. We need the interpretation of scripture. And that's the tradition of the church handed down. It's not just words on a page, but it is a man who lived and who lives in heaven. And so I love the way John says, like, I want, he's having trouble putting words on a page because Jesus was so much more than words on a page. And I think that's what the chosen has done for us is it's, it's brought the words on a page to a fleshy person. 
Not that Jonathan Rumi is Jesus Christ, and not that Dallas's interpretations of these events are infallible. I mean, we're going to talk about that and the things that I, I, you know, disagree with at times. Um, but that the chosen have reminded us that the words on a page can only tell us so much about what Jesus did and said, but that it was a relationship these men wanted to pass on. These men wanted to pass on a relationship. Why? So that we too can have a relationship with him, so that we can have fellowship and that our joy may be complete. So I think that's a really important thing, that it has to be this personal connection that John had, that that's what he wants to pass on, okay? It's an encounter with the humanity of Christ, and that's what I think The Chosen's doing really well. It helps us encounter that humanity of Christ that can be lost when we only see him as God, okay? Okay, so let's jump into the episode. So it opens with John, James and John planning this field. We have no idea what's going on. A lot of this was ad-libbed by the actors, which I think is really funny when they're talking about what they would rather be doing. Um, sometimes I think people get frustrated by not knowing what's happening in The Chosen, but I think it actually shows a great respect to us as viewers that we're not spoon-fed and that a lot of this stuff is going to be explained. You just have to stick with it. Um, I think that's part of the artistry of the show, that you have to stick with the show and say, okay, I don't know why they're planning this field. I don't know where they are. You know, we, we ended season one and they're in Samaria. They're still in Samaria. What's going on, right? We don't know. But I respect this that the show doesn't spoon feed us as viewers. Why did Jesus ask them to do this? They think it's because they're the hardest worker. They think they because they don't like Samaritans. They think because Jesus likes them best. And they're about to get the fact that, no, they're just most in need of the lesson that Jesus has to teach through this. We then see Thomas and Rama on their way with Kafni, Rama's dad. And um, just kind of a recap, remember Thomas and Rama are at the wedding feast at Cana. Jesus tells Thomas, come meet me, you know, in a set number of days, come meet me in Samaria. And so they're on their way to meet Jesus. Um, a little, a few comments. Um, I thought today, so we're in, we're, we're, Sunday. It's Sunday afternoon for those of watching live. For those listening later, um, today's gospel was on the multiplication of the loaves. And I thought of Rhema today during the gospel because with all the fragments left over, Jesus gave them more than they needed in the multiplication of the loaves. And doesn't that remind us of what Rhema says at the Wedding Feast of Cana episode when in the Wedding Feast of Cana, he gave them more wine than they needed. And Rhema says he gives us more than we need. That's a line I've been like reflecting and praying on for a long time. And I think that's a really important line that also reflects in the multiplication of the loaves today in the gospel. So just a little shout out to fictional Rhema there, reminding us of that. Um, so Thomas and Rhema are going with Kafni. Um, the scene really is to remind us of who they are, to set up the Jew-Samaritan relationship in case we've forgotten since season one. Um, it also shows us that Rhema's dad, Kafni, is not excited about this. That'll come up later. Um, one little note, what something I have to get over is the, not anachronistic, because that means outside of time, but um, some of the geographic problems I have with this show, um, they show these snow-capped mountains, and um, it's just, I, I've never seen snow-capped mountains, especially from Galilee to Samaria. So I had a problem with that, but I need to get over that, I think. Um, as always, if you have any comments, if you have any questions, throw them in the chat. I'm getting your comments. I'm seeing your comments, everybody. It's great to see you guys talking. Um, we get a good recap of the disciples. So we're in Samaria. Jesus has disappeared. Um, it's funny. It just kind of shows us, I think the scene is to show us first a recap of the disciples' 
idiosyncrasies, right? Matthew being obsessed with time, um, with like planning, with structure, Peter's passion, Peter's excitement, Peter wants to lead, Peter wants to take over the world. Um, you know, they go try to find him. They don't, you don't need to go find Jesus, right? I mean, I think that's what we, we have to remember, like Jesus had a plan and they think they have a better plan. And that happens all over this episode, right? He's doing his own thing. They want to put him in a box. He wants to do his own thing. Um, you know, he's, he's working on this guy's wagon. I love that. Right. Um, I love that he's working on this axle of a wagon and I just, I think this is so real. Um, we meet Fotina again. She's super excited about life. Fotina has been changed, right? We see a very different woman in this season than we did in the last, um, episode of season one. Yes. Wendy points out these scenes were shot in Utah. Yes, um, I still have a problem with snow-capped mountains. <laughs> CGI them away or something. Um, but yes, this part was, was filmed in Utah, and then later there, was, there were parts filmed in Texas. Matthew and Thomas get off on the wrong foot. Um, of course, like poor Matthew rubs everybody the wrong way. Thomas is kind of abrasive himself in this scene, I think. Um, but then we go back to Jesus. So Jesus is teaching, and... Um, he teaches the parable of the lost sheep, and I love kind of seeing this unfold. It makes sense that this is how a lot of the parables came about, right? That there was a conversation, there was a back and forth with his audience. Um, I, we see Fotina's um, husband listening, right? So it pans over and we see that Fotina's grumpy husband is listening and perhaps his heart's being changed. But I love this kind of back and forth with the shepherd that, you know, Jesus loves shepherds, right? And so the parable is told, but in a kind of back and forth dialogue. And I, I think that's very real. Okay, so now we're back to this new character. Again, a lot of back and forth in this episode. Um, this new character, we don't know who he is, right? His field's been plowed. He apparently can't walk well. Um, again, respect to the Art, the, to the writers for not spoon feeding us, for not revealing this all at once. It's being revealed slowly, which isn't unlike how God reveals himself to us slowly. He unpacks it. Um, Rama's dad going, um, so then we're back with Jesus. Um, Rama's dad, I think it's really believable, first of all, that he would be really suspicious of this all happening, right? Um, we've talked before about whether or not women would have followed Jesus like this, we know we know women follow Jesus. It's in the scriptures. Um, would you let your daughter go and join this random tribe of people that are following this preacher? Um, you know, he, I love how he like says, "You're going to get used to making porridge because that's all you're going to eat when you don't have a job." Um, every dad listening, you've said something like that. You just have right? Um, so this is a very believable, real scene, and um, I love that Jesus understands. Um, Jesus knows how difficult this is for, for Kofni. Um, Jesus even tears up in the conversation. He knows that this is difficult. Um, and I think the, um, yeah, I just think it's a, a beautiful scene where Kofni says very vulnerably and honesty, honestly, he says something like, I cannot give you my belief. I can only give you my honesty. Um, after giving up my daughter, right? And so just this, it's so honest. And I think God respects that. He respects our honesty more than the games that we play. Um, he just respects when we are honest about how hard it is. And Kofni doesn't understand, but he's giving up his daughter and he's giving Jesus his honesty. Um, and so I think this scene is very real. It really, it reminded me of 
perhaps a dad who's giving his daughter away to like missionary life or to the convent and doesn't quite understand what's happening. And there's that, um, that real feeling of now you're making decisions for yourself and they're not decisions I would make, but I love you so much. I'm going to let you do that. And that's a very, very, very difficult thing for a father. I mean, I'm saying that I'm not a father, but you can only imagine kind of this vulnerable honesty of, I can't make this decision. I don't want you to make this decision, but I'm going to allow it. And I just think it's a really beautiful scene. Jesus says, I ask a lot of those who follow me, but I ask little of those who do not. And I think this goes back to the fact that God proposes and doesn't impose. Um, Jesus does ask a lot of those who follow him. Um, it's, the Christianity is not easy. Um, it's, it's a difficult, difficult decision. But um, he also respects the freedom of those who choose not to follow him. They're going to, they're going to have a harder life, actually, and they're going to have to you know, um, go through the veil of tears in a different way. But he's not imposing himself on people. Um, he respects our freedom. And we talked a lot about that, actually, in our patron Bible study last week when we looked at the letter of Philemon. And this idea that God wants our freedom and he's not going to impose himself. He's going to propose. And so we see this with Kofni. Jesus isn't imposing anything on Kofni. Um, but Kofni has to allow Rama to make the decision in her freedom as an adult. So we're going to finish the, the rest of the episode kind of finishes with this interesting story of what we might call the bad Samaritan. Um, and so we've, we've seen the, the um, relationship between the Samaritans and the Jews. We talked about it in um, especially season eight, uh, or sorry, episode eight of season one. And so if you want to go back and, and listen to that, we talked a lot about the Samaritans. Um, James and John kind of show, like they, they epitomize the Jewish tension that the Jews um, and the Samaritans did not get along. And so James and John are not going to welcome, they they do not like the fact that they plowed the land for a Samaritan, right? They started to get really proud, right? Jesus is talking the whole episode about how they did important work and they did this great work. And um, Jesus is about to teach him a lesson, right? Um, it's interesting when they're, they're getting ready for the dinner, the apostles have no idea what's going on, right? James and John have been entrusted with, 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 this lesson, right? So they've been entrusted with the money. They've been entrusted with the plan. They think they're all great. Even they don't know what's going on. And so we don't know what they're doing. They don't know what they're doing, right? So we kind of are put into their shoes. Like, we don't know what's going on. Why are you all making dinner? What's happening? Um, again, the apostles are always trying to organize Jesus to put him in this box, right? They're trying to organize his invitations to dinner. They're trying to decide what he's going to do. Um, isn't that what we do, right? I try to organize God all the time, right? I know God's will and I want what, you know, I say I want God's will, but I really want God's will to be my will, right? Um, and so that's what they're doing, right? Like they tr they're trying to put God in this box and saying, this is what the plan of God is. And Jesus is going to surprise them. Um, you know, we have to let him lead. We have to let him lead. I love when they say, um, you know, there are lots of people who want to have dinner with him. And someone says, uh, maybe James or John, says he wants to make dinner. And I think that's a huge lesson for us, right? We want to be in charge. We want to make the invitation. Um, we want to tell the Lord what the plan is. We want to be in charge and ask him. And he's a step ahead of us, right? And he wants to 
come to us, right? He wants to propose to us. He has a plan for us. He wants to make dinner. Are we going to let him make dinner? Or are we going to say, no, this is dinner I've already decided, right? Um, a really, really good image right there. He wants to make dinner. Uh, the wine cellar. Um, so when Peter goes to get the wine, right? The wine, Fotina, like, is Fotina. She's super excited about life. And um, the wine cellar tells Fotina, now we believe because we've heard for our ourselves. And this is directly from John 4. We are in the middle of John 4 here. So John 4 verses 39 to 42, that's where we're sitting in this episode. Um, so in John 4, 39 to 42, they're spending two days in Samaria and that is when the people of Samaria believe Jesus, not because of Fotina's testimony. They first believed because of Fotina's testimony. Now they're believing because they hear the word of God, right? They hear him preaching. So we that's where this episode sits in John 4, 39 to 42. And um, this is another reminder to us, right? There's so much more that happened during Jesus's life than the words on the page. Because this is just, this is just a few verses, but those were two days. Two days. A lot happens in two days. Um, and so it's a reminder to us of the disclaimer that John put on his gospel that Mary, in this episode, Mary gave him the words, right? There's so much more than what's on the words of the page of scripture. Um, okay, so they show up at the bad Samaritan's house. Jesus says, this is where we're dining tonight. Um, just like with Matthew, they're associating with someone that they normally wouldn't associate with, and they're going to eat with him. And that's huge, right? Eating, meals, fellowship, huge signs, right, of, of something bigger. Because God's going to eat with all of us, whether we're worthy or not, and we're not worthy. Um, I love the fact that they're talking during the meal and chatting, and they're recapping the story of the miraculous catch. Because isn't this what they would do, right? You would retell these stories again and again. We've all been part of, of family gatherings where we retell the same story over and over again because it's funny, because it's fantastic, and we want to retell the story. And that's what they're doing, right? They would tell these stories again and again. These are miraculous things that they experienced. Of course, Peter's going to tell the story again and again and again. I love how Melek's wife, uh, Melek being the bad Samaritan, right? Um, Melek's wife asks Jesus the age-old question, the age-old question about suffering. That is the question that keeps people from conversion, that keeps people from the kingdom, really. What about suffering? He, so that's the, whole, that's the old question. That's the, the hard question. What about suffering? And Christ opens up to her the kingdom, right? This is all about the kingdom. He's building a kingdom. If you read the parables, it's all about the kingdom. The kingdom of heaven uh, is already but not yet, right? He's come to establish a kingdom, but it's not here yet in its fullness. And it won't be here in its fullness. And so we will still have suffering. But he says, in the end, the light will overcome the darkness. If you're keeping track, that's another reference to John, right? John uses that. Um, in John 1, 5, right? So that's the preface of John's gospel, right? So there's all these little hat tips to John's gospel throughout this whole episode, and that's one of them. Um, Jesus asks Melek how he hurt his leg. Of course, Jesus knows, right? Melek later says, I think he always knew, right? Um, but Jesus knows, but he's asking so that Melek will tell him. That's how God is. We see it at the very beginning of scripture, right? When God's in the garden and he asks Adam, where are you? God knows where Adam is. What have you done? God knows what Adam's done. 
But God asks these questions not to find out the answer, but so that we can tell him the answer, so that we can be vulnerable, so that we can confess our sins, so that we can come to him in repentance. So Jesus asks Melech not because he doesn't know how Melech hurt his leg, but he's opening the door for Melech to tell God what he did, to repent of his sin and to be healed. Um, Melech says, if you knew who I am, you never would have helped me. And I think that's a beautiful statement because Jesus absolutely knows who he is, right? Jesus has known this whole time who he is. If you would have known who I was, you never would have helped me. Of course Jesus would have helped him. And how often do you find yourself in that situation where you think my sin is too big, right? My sin is too great. The grudge I hold is too great. The Lord can never forgive me. Um, Jesus knows exactly who this man is and that he needs his help. And so we have to be careful. We're, we're not Melech, right? If you knew who I was, you never would help me. Jesus knows exactly who we are. And that's why he helps us because he knows we need him. I think it's really beautiful. I think I got, I got chills. I think the first time that I heard, watched this episode when the parable of the good Samaritan was revealed through the bad Samaritan, right? So we have a bad Samaritan um, being the cause of the parable of the good Samaritan. And when Melech is, is upset that this man could have died, you know, Jesus reassures him someone came along and helped him. Um, Jesus knows why the Good Samaritan came along. And, you know, I think this reminds us that it's, there's a lot you can say about this, but um, one of the things it reminds us is that all of Jesus' parables are based on real things. What do I mean by that? Do we know that this event happened? No. Was there a bad Samaritan? Uh, you know, Melek is, the, Melek is the invention of Dallas and the writers. It's a reminder to us that what we see in the Good Samaritan, a traveler passing on the road that leads from Jerusalem to Jericho, it's a dangerous road. Even today when you travel that road, it is a steep, steep, steep road going from very high in Jerusalem to very low sea level, close to the Dead Sea, the lowest place on earth in Jericho. That was a dangerous road where people constantly got attacked by robbers. So it's a reminder to us that, yes, this happened all the time. That's why Jesus tells the parable, because people knew exactly what road he was talking about. People knew exactly how scary it was to travel alone there. People had probably known somebody who had gotten kidnapped or, um, a, a, you know, robbed on that road. And so the parables that Jesus tells are exactly from the people's lives. That's the master teacher. Um, Dan points out, I don't know if I could have confessed that in front of all those people. I agree. Like that was such a moment of, I mean, he's confessing it in front of Jews, right? Who he's confessing harming a Jew in front of Jews. He's outnumbered. And all these people have just done something amazingly wonderful for him. And now he's admitting all this. Um, that took great courage and great humility and great vulnerability. Absolutely. That is a great point, Dan. Um, so we, we have the story of the Good Samaritan, but then we come back to another parable because Melek says, you know, all these people in the town are falling at your feet. You have all these dinner invitations. You could do all of that. And it's the parable of the Good Samaritan, right? It's, it, I think this, this episode is just, is just artistry. It's the parable of the Good Samaritan that Jesus seeks out the lost sheep. He leaves the 99 in town 
that are already falling at his feet, that already believe in him. And he goes to the one that's lost. Not because the one deserves him, not because the one has done anything well. The, the one that's lost has done something terrible. And that's why the Lord seeks him out. If you knew what I, if you knew who I am, you never would have helped me. Yes, he would have, because you are the hundredth sheep that he needs in his flock. And that's what we have to tell ourselves when we've sinned grievously, when we have grave sin on our soul, when we've done something we regret, when we have venial sin on our soul. We have to remember we're the hundredth sheep that the Lord will chase to the ends of the earth. Not because we're deserving, but because he loves us, because we are worthy of his love in our unworthiness, because he loves what's unworthy. My mom has a great point. Um, so she says, Jesus is asking a lot of his apostles. He asks the same of us. That is absolutely 100% true. Jesus is not just teaching an, a lesson to this man of his of his love for this man. He's teaching this lesson to his apostles that you would hate this man if he was out there as an abstraction, as a bad Samaritan. I am putting him right in front of your face and asking you to love him. Not because he's done something good, but because he's done something terrible, but I love him. And he's challenging his apostles to open their hearts in love and mercy because God is mercy. And if we want to be, I went to confession yesterday and the, the priest, the priest said, if you want to be like God, it means that you have to be merciful to others. That's not new to me, but I heard it in a new way, right? If we want to be perfect as our Heavenly Father is perfect, that doesn't mean that we say 10 rosaries a day or that we go to daily mass every day or that we are, are holier than the person next to us. It means that we forgive our enemies. It means that we go after the hundredth sheep and we forgive the one who hurt us. And that's hard. That's hard. Um, Notice, so he says, you know the crime I committed in cold blood and you'd help someone like me. And Peter says he would. Why does he say that? Because Peter's been there too, right? Peter's been there too and has been forgiven. And he will be forgiven again because we fall again and again and again. And that will be a theme, important theme in this season. Um, they got some bad rap for, um, for Jesus saying too soon, that little joke where he's like, we better go before someone know it, no one attacks us on the way. And then he's like, too soon. Um, they got some criticism for that. It was seen as too like hip and like too modern. Um, I really liked it because I think it humanizes Jesus in a way that we need. Um, there's a lot that they say that would, they wouldn't have said in first century Palestine. Yeah, get over it. Um, we just need a human Jesus and that's what we're getting here. Um, we see that again in, um, oh, notice that he tells Melek to go to the synagogue. And I think that's important because this, he, he commands him to be obedient to the faith that he's placed himself under, right? So as a Jew, he's telling him to go to the Samaritan synagogue, which is interesting. Um, but I think that's important because Jesus has nothing against the Torah. Um, he's just going to show, obviously it's his word. He's just going to show them the fulfillment of the Torah, in a few years. So he's commanding him to go do and be faithful to the law that he has been given and that he lives under. Um, and I think that's an important point. Um, okay, so too soon joke. Um, there's also this great joke. It's one of my favorite parts of the episode. Again, it it got some flack because it's too modern or because it, um, well, so it's when Fotina, so they, they're going to go spend the night at Fotina's house. Fotina's husband's hilarious. He's like one of my favorite characters now. Um, he's like, I'm dying anyway. I don't need the house. Hilarious. I love this guy. Um, and 
I love when he says, you know, the the room, the one of the rooms is haunted by my dead grandmother. And Jesus says, I'll take that one. I lost it. I love it. Um, I guess he got some flack from um, maybe previewers who said like, oh, but Jesus wouldn't believe in ghosts, which that's a whole nother discussion that we're not going to have right now. But, um, but so then Dallas added the scene the next morning when the apostles said like, why didn't you, um, why didn't you talk about ghosts? And he said, I don't address everything at once with new converts. I don't think that's a throwaway line. I think that's a really important line. Jesus is going to gradually reveal himself. He doesn't try to tell us all at once. So he's not going to all of a sudden give Fotina's husband a lesson on ghosts. Why? Because that Fotina's husband's not ready for that. Um, so often we forget when we're evangelizing, like, this person doesn't need to know everything right now. We don't have to unpack the catechism all at once for them. They're not ready for that. And so that's not a throwaway line. That's a really important line. Um, I don't, I uh, don't address everything at once with new converts. That's an important line. But I loved the ghost joke, and I'm glad they kept it in. Um, so, Melek isn't healed till the morning. Um, and I think that's really interesting. That's the question I started during the countdown clock. I started, um, and I saw that Jackie responded, and Jackie pointed out that he was healed in the light. Sin is darkness. Forgiveness means coming home to the Father, which is light. I think that's a beautiful, beautiful interpretation. Um, as I mentioned at the beginning, I'm going to be throwing these questions out at the beginning. They're questions I don't really have answers to. I want to know what you think the writers were thinking. So Melek is healed not when Jesus is with him, but throughout the night or in the morning. Um, he gets out of bed and he's healed. And Jackie, I love that reflection that he's healed in the light rather than in the darkness, and that he's gone from darkness to light. He's gone from his sin, um, and almost not even forgiving himself for it. He had to forgive himself. He had to receive the Lord's forgiveness, and that's how he is healed. Um, I also wonder if he needed time to really have faith in Jesus, and that he didn't have faith in the evening, and Jesus couldn't heal him without faith. Um, so that's one thing. But if you have other ideas, feel free to put them in the chat. Um, again, we see the apostles fighting. They want to dictate the plan. And we have this great scene about the sons of thunder. Um, so James and John want to call down fire from heaven on the Samaritans. Jesus holds them back with great passion. And I think it reminds us that Jesus himself was passionate. Like he's angry at James and John when he holds them back. There's anger there because anger isn't a sinful um, passion. Passions are not sinful it's the intention right so um so the the anger the passion isn't sinful he holds james and john back why because they are they are acting rashly they are acting with unjustified passion and anger um and the way jesus responds to him them is fantastic right um fire right you want to use the power of god to call down fire from heaven um i love how he like he just treats the, like, I just love it. I, I love the relationship. I just don't even have words for the relationship. Um, they don't deserve you, right? So so James and John are like, they don't deserve you. And this is the, the lesson he's been trying to teach them, right? Melek didn't deserve him. They don't deserve him, right? He's like, you don't deserve me either. Um, he's trying to do work. He's trying to do work, he says, that will last for generations. And the work that Fotina's doing like Fotina's doing good work sowing the seed and they're going to they're going to to erase all of it. They're going to ruin all of it. 
Um, I mean, I think this is where my mom's comment comes in. Jesus is asking a lot of his apostles to forgive the man, right? To forgive the Samaritans for age-old sins that they weren't even present for, if you remember that he mentions that in in episode 8. And so we have him calling to mind this idea that, like, you're not more worthy than the Samaritans. You're not more worthy. That's the whole point. That's why I'm here. That's a powerful, powerful line. Um, a couple Sundays ago, my one of the the priests, uh, one of my pastors. Um, I have many parishes, but he pointed out he was like Jesus didn't become flesh in the incarnation because we were doing a good job. <laughs> and I love it. I wrote it down and starred it. Right, God didn't become flesh because we have everything under control. He became flesh because we needed him because we had screwed everything up and we keep screwing everything up. But I love again how he teases them. Right, um, you wanted to use the power of God. Um, and then they're like, oh, it sounded a lot worse when you say it that way. And there's this like love, you know, he doesn't reprimand them without love and without brotherly affection. Um, so John asks like, is the nickname sons of thunder, a good thing or a bad thing? It's both right. Passion is important. It just needs prudence. And that's something they lack right now. The closing scene. Um, so they're in the synagogue of the Samaritans. If you remember from season one, episode eight, we talked about how the Samaritans don't um, have things like Proverbs and Psalms. They only have the writings of Moses. They only have the Pentateuch, right? And so, um, and so again, Jesus is going to work with what he has, right? He is not going to address everything at once with new converts. He's not going to go into the synagogue and be like, listen, guys, you have to accept more, right? You have to accept more. There was no Jewish canon of scripture at this time, but he's not going to walk in and be like, listen, I'm going to read to you from Proverbs because you need the Proverbs and the Psalms and Chronicles. No, he's not going to address everything at once with new converts. That's an important point. Um, So Jesus will read from the Pentateuch. He will read from the book of Moses, the first five books of the the current accepted Jewish canon. Um, We have to start somewhere right? That's what he tells John. And that's here, this moment, right? Where, okay, John, where are we going to start? But it's also in evangelization, right? We have to start somewhere. Um, We don't need to tell everything at once. We have to start somewhere. And so where do they start? They start in the beginning. And so this is where we go back to the prologue of the, of the, um, of the episode, which is when John's trying to figure out the prologue of his gospel. And we see this joined together. And I got chills seeing where they were going to go with it, knowing Um, that, you know, John's prologue of his gospel echoes the first chapter of Genesis, right, in the beginning. And I love it. Jesus says it's a favorite memory, Um, a hat tip to John 1, 3, where we're reminded that all creation was made through the word, through Christ. So yes, the creation of the world is a a favorite memory of his because he is the word, right? Um, And so I love the parallel of of Genesis 1 and John 1. Um, I think that was really beautifully done. I love that Melek comes. I love that Jesus winks at him. I think I said this in season one. I love that Jesus is a winker. Love it. Um, I just love the humanity of of Christ um, in this series. Um, We're wrapping up. So if you have any questions, comments, now is the time to put them in the chat so I don't miss them before we wrap up. Um, comments, what was your favorite part of the episode? Did you not understand something? Do you want something cleared up? Do you have whatever? Put it in the chat. Um, to kind of end, I love that Jesus also was wearing the talit, which would have been that prayer shawl with the tassels. Um, indications are that Christ as a Jewish man would have worn the talit. Um, and when the woman with the hemorrhage grabs his garment, she probably 
grab the tassels that were sticking out from under his cloak. So we're, we've yet to really see him wear um, the tallit, the, the, um, the tassels of the Orthodox Jew, but he's wearing the prayer shawl with the tassels, the tallit in this episode, in this scene when he's reading um, from the, um, from the book of Genesis. Notice he's not wearing a kippah. So I actually had to do some research because I was like, wait a minute, he's not wearing the yarmulke. Um, the yarmulke or the kippah would, you know, we're all familiar with the, Jew the Jewish men covering their heads when they pray. Um, and that actually was not at the time of Christ. Um, and so that would have been anachronistic. So kudos to the writers for doing their homework and finding out that the, while the tallit would have been worn, um, the kippah doesn't come for several centuries after Christ. Um, when the, in the writings of the Talmud, it talks about covering your head, but that wouldn't have been at the time of Christ. So kudos to the, the writers for really doing their research and, and finding that out. So I give them points against the snow-capped mountains in that scene, but points for not having him cover his head with a kippah because that wouldn't have been, um, that would have been an anachronism. So questions, thoughts, I'm not seeing a lot come through the chat. Thank you for, for joining us just to kind of wrap up and a reminder that if you want to subscribe, there's a, you know, click that subscribe button. I'm still used to the mirrored screen here. Um, click the subscribe button, but come back on Thursday. We'll look at see, uh, episode two, another really, really packed episode. Um, one and two are probably my favorite episodes. So um, I'm trying to keep these under an hour, but there's just so much to talk about. So come back Thursday. We will, um, I'll post the link in all my socials and we will look at season two, episode two, which is the introduction of one of my favorite calling stories, the call of the apostles. And this is one of my favorite calls. And I'm happy to say that the way Dallas interpreted it is very close to the way I've interpreted it over the years. So I think that might be why it's one of my favorites. So anyway, thanks for joining us. Uh, God bless. And if you are listening or watching later, you can always throw a question or a comment in the comments of the YouTube video, and I will address it in the next video. So if you have questions that come up later, throw them in the comments. I will address those either in the comment box or in our next episode. So God bless. Have a good Sunday. Happy Feast of Big James, and I will see you Thursday.